Good morning. Let me, let me ask you to find Proverbs chapter 9 in your Bibles, please. Um, a few years ago, <clears throat> I, don't, I don't know if you have um, ever been to a bazaar or not. I don't mean the like the little stores around here, I mean like the serious bazaars like in Cairo and Istanbul and other places. And Over the years, my travels have taken me to some of those. Um, <clears throat> I'm a terrible negotiator, I'll, I'll just tell you that. But several years ago, I was with our daughter Lauren on a trip and we went to Cairo, went to the bazaar. And uh, of course, it was just pure madness, right? I mean, in any of those situations, you just have voices calling out to you, come by this, come my friend. Oh, really? We're friends. Yes, we're friends. You know, how many camels for your daughter? All that kind of thing. It was awesome. Uh, it was a great time, and I just decided I'm, I'm just going to not beat myself. I will put on my game face. I know how much money I can spend, and I'm just going to have fun. And we had fun. One of the things I came up with from Cairo is this little, okay, if you were going to Cairo, would you buy a plastic pyramid with skeletons inside? Probably not. Okay, that's the kind of dumb decisions we make at bazaars. And even worse, I've got three of them. So, <laughs> but really, I bought it partly because, you know, we look at the pyramids and I think massive structure, but the reality is they're tombs and there's dead bodies inside. And all that elaborate structure was basically an attempt to just pretend that death is somehow not a part of our lives. And so that's, there is a reminder, not only of the time with my daughter, but, um, um, you know, of that issue and as well as don't, don't do stupid things. So <laughs> don't, don't make dumb choices. But I did stay within the budget for that day, so that's, that's part of it. But life can be like that. A lot of voices calling out to us, offering us something that it seems that we want. And we get a similar word picture in Proverbs chapter 9. As we navigate life, there are many voices calling out to us about and, and telling us this is the way forward, this is the way to what you want. And if we listen carefully in most of those circumstances, it really boils down to two voices, the voice of wisdom and the voice of folly. And that's what we see in chapter 9 today. We've seen the contrast in several ways between wisdom and folly so far in our exploration of Proverbs. And chapter 9 just sort of brings together everything that we've looked at so far. Um, it shows us how both wisdom and folly call out to us. They call out to us and offer us something to satisfy us. They call to us from the same place. They call to us using the same words. They call to us usually at the same time. And our lives depend on us listening to the right voice. Uh, it's the, these, these can be life and death choices that we face here. So let's walk through chapter 9 and see what we can learn about navigating these choices. So we look first at wisdom. In the first three verses, it says, Wisdom has built her house. She has set up its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has set her also set her table. She has sent out her servants, and she calls from the highest point of the city. Let's stop here for a second and just notice some things about wisdom. First, just notice how hard she works, okay? She's diligent. She's industrious. Notice the range of her activity. She has built a house, a house with seven pillars. That is quite an accomplishment. I mean, I've done construction work, okay? I've worked for an earth-moving company. I've worked in residential construction. 
Um, you know, that is no small accomplishment to build a house, especially one with seven pillars. But then she doesn't just build a house with seven pillars. She also prepares a meal and she sets the table. Very different task, large and small. Uh, I will admit, as I read this, I thought all the way from home construction to setting the table. And I thought back to my work at construction. I thought about some of the guys I worked with and I thought, you know, I'd pay money to watch you set a table. <laughs> I'm just watching some of these big guys that are just not known for shall we say, manual dexterity. And, uh, and I thought that, that would just be funny. And I've been at formal dinners too, and I've seen people preparing those, and I think, you know, it'd be fun to watch you driving a bulldozer, right? Driving a nail would be lost in those. And yet wisdom is able to do all of that. That points us to the, just the sufficiency and the beauty and the variety of wisdom, how it, how it serves all of life, right? So um, she's, she's built her house. She set up seven pillars, um, the word that's translated set up is literally uh, to carve out or hew, if you're familiar with that word, not hew Davies, but hew as a verb. Uh, it's the idea of carving something out, maybe from wood, maybe from stone. But that's the idea. She has carved out seven pillars from stone, set these up, used that to build this house in which she uh, offers wisdom to the world. Now, these seven pillars might be a way of recalling all that has said, been said so far in the first eight chapters about wisdom. I had really hoped to find seven synonyms for wisdom in the first eight chapters. I stopped counting at 11, so, you know, nice try, but that didn't work. Um, but it, the fact that there are seven just may point to the completion and perfection of it. The idea is, is that wisdom is sufficient, it's beautiful, it's complete, it's perfect. Um, but I do find it interesting that in uh, James chapter 3, when he describes wisdom from above, he describes it in seven ways, James 3, 17. He says it is pure peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. So maybe James was thinking about the seven pillars. We don't know. But it does point to the completion, the completeness, the perfection, the beauty of wisdom, uh, that, it, that it meets us where we are with what we need. Whatever else the pillars mean, I think they point us to the strength and the beauty of wisdom. Uh, just imagine entering a scene where this is a, a, a house, you know, seven pillars, so it's large, but a beautiful table is set, a, a meal is prepared that is, um, that, that is nourishing, not just for the body, but for the soul. It is a, just imagining the scene, imagining being invited to this, being welcomed, being welcomed at this table. It just creates a sense of well-being, of satisfaction, of hope, of, of, of anticipation. Because wisdom is also hospitable. Just in technical terms, a building with seven pillars is large enough to anticipate a crowd. Okay? You're, you don't see a phone booth with seven pillars. Okay? <laughs> this, is, so this is space that anticipates people. And the meal, this is not uh, a happy meal. <laughs> this is uh, not candy and a soft drink. This is meat and wine. This is nourishing. This is life-giving. It is kind of food that strengthens and nourishes and satisfies. She set the table and she sent out servants to invite as many as possible into her feast. It calls to mind a parable Jesus told about a nobleman who prepares a feast and invites. People make excuses and, and we see the same thing happening here. So now we see in verses 4 to 6 her invitation. We've seen the preparation. Now we see her invitation. She says, let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, Come, eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. 
So her invitation is directed to the simple. Now here the summons basically goes out to anyone who feels the need for wisdom. Uh, As we have seen before, the word simple can describe people who have not yet learned wisdom. They may not have rejected it. They don't seem to be like mockers as if they're openly resisting or, or rejecting but they're at least capable of learning. However, sometimes that, that ignorance, that lack of wisdom is a willful thing and they're not open to further correction. It seems to be what happens, for example, in, in uh, seven, uh, chapter seven, it's the young man who is simple, who finds himself ensnared in the adulteress's trap. And it is his simpleness, his naivety that, that is his downfall. Um, so they may or may not be openly mocking, but the heart is at best undecided. It's not a compliment to be called simple, okay? At least here, Proverbs. I did tell Phil, keep it simple this morning. That wasn't an insult, okay? Although those, what, seven Ps, uh, you know, it's like, never mind. I'm not going there. Okay, so wisdom's invitation to this house is is. The idea is to nourishment, to satisfaction, to life, to well-being, to shalom, if you're familiar with that Hebrew word, to everything that wisdom offers. But we also see a choice is expected of those who heed the invitation. She says, leave your simple ways and live. There is a change expected. You're not going to eat this happy meal and go on your way. This is life-changing. It is life-giving. You cannot continue on the course you were going and turn aside to the house of wisdom and get what you need. You're going to have to make a choice. Now, wisdom continues in verses 7 to 12, continues talking, draws together really some of the major lessons that we've seen in the first eight chapters. So she says, whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. Instruct the wise, and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous, and they will add to their learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom, and literally that is me, um, NIV sticks wisdom there to make it it flow better, but that's the idea, and that's why I say this is wisdom continuing to talk. Uh, Your translation, ESV, NAS may say me instead of wisdom there. Um, For through wisdom, your days will be many and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. Now, if you've been here over the previous weeks, a lot of these themes should be familiar. This should call to mind. And of course, you know, I know you hang on every word I've said and you you just recall it all, right? But uh, it it goes back to a lot of what we've we've covered. And, And This is what I said as we began this series. The first nine chapters are fairly straightforward, describing wisdom in different ways, its benefits for our lives, calling us to renounce ourselves, follow wisdom, to fear the Lord. Starting with chapter 10, the arrangement gets seemingly random, but it's it's more topical than it is uh, longer discourses. So that'll be a a fun thing to look at. Um, So let's just draw out some of the lessons that, that wisdom gives us here in these verses that look back to the first eight chapters. First, there are different kinds of, there are different attitudes toward wisdom. There is ambivalence or mixed feelings. Some are halting between two opinions. Some are, are struggling. Some are confused. There is acceptance of wisdom and there is rejection or mocking. There aren't many other options. Despite the beauty and the goodness and the desirability and the promises of wisdom, there are some who will reject it and they will live by their own wisdom, also known as folly. 
Um, a second thing is that one of the essential marks of a wise person is not how much they know, but it is their attitude toward correction or rebuke or adversity. The wise and the humble person receives it, embraces it, accepts it. The arrogant, the mocker, the wicked, the proud do not. They resist it. They deny it. I think to a pastor that was in, when I was pastor in the U.S., another preacher in those days, just a rising story, very popular preacher, very well-known, at least in that region, and everybody wanted him to come preach. And it came to light that he'd had a moral failure. He'd committed adultery. He was married, had a relationship with another woman. And his response was, God has forgiven me. I've forgiven myself. I'm moving on. And he started a new church within two weeks. And, you know, that there was no sense of accountability there other than it was almost a flippant attitude toward the betrayal of his marriage vows. And um, his uh, trajectory continued. In fact, he actually crossed the legal boundaries. Last time I read about him, he was in prison. And I sounds like he belongs there. Um, contrast to that was Gordon MacDonald, who, um, who also had an inappropriate relationship uh, outside of marriage. And uh, as that became known, he immediately just submitted himself to the counsel of his elders, basically disappeared for a couple of years. He was in a cabin in New England, New Hampshire, Vermont, somewhere. You know, doesn't really matter if you get that far north, right? Thank you for that little chuckle. Uh, I'm from the South, just in case uh, you can tell from Phil's accent, he's from England. I am not from New York, of Boston. So, um, but McDonald just received, accepted that accountability. I think I've mentioned his story before. And after a period of years, was restored to ministry. And it seems like a really, if not tragic, still a, a healthy response to, to that to a tragic choice. A third thing is that wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. We see this in verse 10. It's not a fear of harm that drives us away. It is a reverence that draws us to the Lord. And it recognizes that we will give account to him for our words and our choices, for our actions. And then we see, like in verse 11, that wisdom brings many blessings in our lives. Summed up in verse 11, where wisdom says, your days will be many. This is generally true. Longer life, again, make better choices. Um, you know, I think if you ask me, you know, what is the dumbest choices I made? Well, you know, I've done some really dumb things. Maybe the dumbest thing was uh, parasailing behind a Jeep in a pasture in Texas. So there you go. <laughs> they just said, when the Jeep slows down, start running. So I'm like doing this. And then, of course, I fell down as soon as I hit the ground. I thought, this is, this is redneck dumb here. But I learned I haven't done it since. That was, what, 1984 or something like that. They have better Jeeps, better parachutes now. It's awesome. So, but thankfully I lived to tell that tale. Um, yet wisdom does help us make better choices, right? But we also understand that in God's providence and purpose, sometimes he has a different plan and, and someone's life on earth ends earlier than we think it should. And, but we can trust him in that. Just like Proverbs offers health, 
Just because you get sick, it doesn't mean you lack faith. It doesn't mean somehow God has failed a promise. Just because someone dies before we think they're ready, that doesn't mean God has broken a promise. These are generally true. These are observations about life. So we can trust him in sickness and health and life and death and all of those situations. We can trust the Lord. Um, And then in verse 12, there are consequences for our actions. It's summed up in verse 12. You choose wisdom, there's a reward. You choose folly, there is also a consequence to that. There's loss and destruction. And then there's something that I don't think we've seen before as we've looked at Proverbs. It seems like from the tone of these verses that if we accept, if we heed wisdom's call, it's like we become those, one of those sent out servants. You remember at the beginning, she's, she's built the house, she's prepared the meal, she set the table, and it says she sent out her servants. Well, it, it seems as if once we accept the message, once we heed wisdom's call, we then become among those servants who are out announcing, declaring, and inviting others to join in and to, and to heed godly wisdom. And so we can expect the same kind of response. We can expect acceptance from those who are open. We can expect rejection from mockers. It is maybe similar. Maybe that's what was in mind in, uh, in uh, Proverbs 11:30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who is wise wins souls. The idea is we are declaring and announcing wisdom, and we can expect a mixed response. Wisdom itself gets a mixed response, right? Well, starting in verse 13, we have the description of folly. Folly personified, these are, as we've seen before, two personifications, not real figures, not real people, but personifications. And the contrast with wisdom could hardly be greater. Verse 13, folly is an unruly woman. She's simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way, Let all who are simple come to my house. Now notice that is exactly the same thing that wisdom says, okay? Exactly, word for word, exactly what wisdom says. The appeal is to the same people, to those who have no sense. She says, the similarity ends there. So just notice, they say the same thing. The offer is the same. And that is why we must have wisdom as we navigate life. Both are saying Uh, Whoever lacks wisdom, turn in here. Whoever is simple, turn in here. I have what you need. I have what you want. I have the solution. I have the way forward. But if you listen to the wrong voice, the consequences are disastrous and deadly. Now, her her counsel says this. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. Well, you hear this quite different from what wisdom says, right? But... We have the common at the end. Little do they know, the dead are there. Well, you don't see those sitting around the table, do you? There's an awkward commercial of a guy looking at a house. I've seen it in the U.S. He goes in the attic, and there's around the table, there's a set of mannequins, and it's just creepy. He's creeped out. You know, it's just a, a funny commercial. Don't remember what it's for, but that was a funny commercial. Uh, I think it had to do with insurance. But um, anyway... You know, here you go, you enter the house expecting to find satisfaction in life, and what you find are the dead. You find rotting corpses of people who've made poor choices. Little do they know the dead are there, her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. So let's think about what folly is like. Folly is unruly. What a great word. The word actually means to make a noise or to roar, okay? 
This is not just a lively personality. It's the same word in uh, chapter one where it says wisdom is at the head of the noisy streets. That word noisy is the same word here. So she just makes a lot of noise. She's getting your attention. Um, The volume, volume is up high. It's more than a lively personality. This is a person without restraint at all. Never mind the content, she's just loud. Now in chapter 7, we have to understand that 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 voice is subdued. The volume is lower, but it is no less defiant. So don't be deceived by the volume level, okay? Um, Then it says that folly is simple and knows nothing. Now a moment ago I said the simple are capable of of learning, but sometimes they are simple because they refuse to learn. And that's what we see here. Folly is someone who is never going to learn. She is willfully ignorant, not teachable. Folly's also lazy. I mean, she has a house, but evidently she didn't build it. We don't know how she got there, how she got the house, why she's there. And in contrast to wisdom who built her house, prepares a feast, Folly is sitting on a seat at the door. She seems, it seems like she's doing nothing but sitting outside her door and yelling at people. <laughs> Okay. Honestly, that sounds like people I grew up with. <laughs> Southern U.S., I am a redneck, I confess. Yeah, I, I pictured real people. Yeah, just sitting on your porch, yelling at whoever walks by. With nothing in particular, but she is offering. Come, come here, I'll give you what you want. She is, like wisdom, seated at a prominent place. It says she's seated at a place where we're at the head of you know, the noisy street, the idea is crowded place where everyone can hear. So we often hear both at the same time. It's like that bazaar with different voices calling for our attention and offering us things. Folly has not sent out servants to invite. She just yells. <laughs> she's just noise. And she is offering us what will satisfy maybe in the moment. And be very sure her volume is going to be louder. Now, let's notice something else here. Notice to whom folly is yelling, to whom she is calling. She is calling to those who pass by, to anyone who hears, but it says to those who go straight on their way. Literally, this is those who are making their paths straight. That is, those who realize, you know, something isn't quite right. I need to make a change. This is somebody who says, something's missing. I... I need to be doing something different. I need to be living differently. I need to, I've just made foolish choices. I need to make better choices. There are people who want to change. They are capable of learning. And if this is you, you need to know that you are especially vulnerable at this point. Because folly has a message just for you. She is calling out, especially to you. You are open, you are vulnerable. You realize things are not right. You know you need to change. And she is offering you a solution, but it is, it is poison. And you need to know this. So notice what she says. Not like wisdom who says, come, eat, drink what I prepared and live. Folly says, stolen water is sweet. Food, literally bread, is eat, that's eaten in secret is delicious. So in effect, she's not saying, come, partake of a meal I prepared. She's saying, just go take some bread from somebody else. <laughs> Just go steal. I'm not going to fix you anything. (laughs) 
Just go steal bread. That's more fun. That's more satisfying. That's more pleasant. That is what will satisfy you. But it is, of course, a deception. As Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 17 says, food, again, literally bread, gained by fraud, tastes sweet. It's kind of like what Folly says here, right? But, and there is always the but, right? But one ends up with a mouthful of gravel. Wow. You're going to go to lunch today and order some gravel? I don't think so. I had not been here very long when I was... Um, at a place, a kiosk that was selling ice cream and didn't know much of the vocabulary, but they had what looked like, um, kind of looked like stracciatella. It's what we call in the U.S. of cookies and cream. It's like Oreos ground up in the ice cream. It's, it's really good. And it said, it said mock in front of it. I thought, okay, whatever. I don't care what you call it. Well, it was not cookies and cream. It was vanilla ice cream with poppy seeds, mock in it. That's how I learned the word. It was like a mouthful of gravel. It was really awful. Dare say the only ice cream cone in my life I have not finished. So, mouthful of gravel. Let me tell you, it's not fun. Now, I did pay for it, didn't steal this, but I would like to get those few hellers back. That's how long ago it was. We still had hellers. Well, folly also promises life, satisfaction, but delivers only emptiness and death. So, as I've said, chapter 9 and this, this, this contrast between wisdom and folly, it really draws together what we have learned so far in the first eight chapters of Proverbs. So let's just invite you to think back of what we've seen in the last few weeks as we've looked at this. So I ask you, do you want power? See, folly offers power over others by ambush and deceit and domination and manipulation and to, and to enrich yourself through that. Wisdom offers power over others. First, by satisfying your heart with the goodness of God so that your identity isn't found in your power or authority. But then by the grace to exercise God-given authority that allows you to serve those you lead and to exercise that authority in a just, good, and right way that leads to their flourishing. Do you want wealth? Folly offers wealth through theft and violence. Wisdom offers wealth in a couple of ways. First, the inherent value of wisdom. It is more desirable than gold and rubies and silver and anything we desire. But also, often, again, as you embrace wisdom and you make better choices, oftentimes that increases your own financial wealth. Not always, but often. Do you want pleasure? Folly offers pleasure through immoral means. We saw that in chapters 5 and 6 and 7. Wisdom offers pleasure first by satisfying the heart through the beauty of wisdom. But then through the marriage relationship and the covenant relationship between a man and a woman. But let's think about some of the things we deal with today. Those are just some of the things we've seen in the first eight chapters. Power and wealth and pleasure. But let's think about some of the things we look for today. Do you want meaning in life? Well, Folly will tell you. You'll find meaning and purpose through getting maybe more things, better things, more relationship, better relationship. Or maybe Folly will tell you life only has the meaning you give it. So you just do something that makes you happy. Or maybe even that life has no meaning and stop trying to make it mean something just to eat and drink because tomorrow you die. But none of us live like life is meaningless. We all live as if our lives mean something. And they do. Because wisdom tells us that we're created in the image of God and for a relationship with Him. 
And it matters that we're alive. It matters that you are here. It matters that you're here today. It matters that you are on earth. Your life matters. It does. You are significant. Now, I've said before, you're not special. You're not, but you are significant. <laughs> There's a difference. Your life does have meaning and purpose. You don't give your life meaning and purpose. You discover meaning and purpose of life because God created your life and he has a purpose for you. And he's the one who gives meaning for your life. And all of this is wrapped up in knowing him personally. As the Westminster Confession Faith says, what is the chief end, the chief goal of man? It is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Isn't that beautiful? That's great. That's a great life purpose. You need a life purpose statement. It, that one's hard to improve on. Do you want fulfillment? Well, folly will tell you the way to fulfillment is to believe in yourself, to listen to your heart, listen to your feelings. That's who you really are. This is what I feel today. This is the way it is. What I feel is what is true. Well, wisdom tells you to stop listening to your heart and to your feelings. Wisdom tells you to speak to your heart. Wisdom tells you that your heart can deceive you. Wisdom tells you to guard your heart, to watch what goes in and watch what comes out. And the paradox is, if you look for fulfillment, you will come up empty. But if you will renounce yourself and follow Jesus, you'll find fulfillment soon enough. Would you like to not fear death? Well, Father will tell you the way to not fear death is to keep yourself so busy and distracted and numb that you don't have to think about it. Then it'll be somebody else's problem. Well, it will be your problem, I assure you, because death is not the end. And following death, we have an appointment with Jesus. And we must give account for our lives to him. So how do we not fear that moment? Wisdom tells us first why there is death. And it tells us that death has been conquered. And that we can face death and the judgment that follows when we put our hope in Jesus. Because he has risen from the dead. He has conquered death. Oh, all right. You want to be authentic? Bali tells you, tells you that if you have this job, this relationship, this thing, whatever it is, you will have arrived. You are the real and good you. But all of these things can be lost. And then you're full of angst because you've lost the things that your identity was wrapped up in. Wisdom says you find your identity in relation to Christ. No one can take that from you. And this is where we really flourish. You want justice? Well, folly calls for justice but has no basis. No basis for human rights. No basis for doing good because good is good. And can only define justice in terms really of the loudest voice. Wisdom tells us because we're made in the image of God, we have obligations toward one another in the way we treat other image bearers. So yes, there is a reason to have justice. We have a sense of right and wrong because we are created in the image of God. We have a conscience, and though marred by sin, it is functioning. It directs us to the highest good we know. And in the gospel, God has provided a way for us to be set free from our own injustice. And a way for you, if you are a victim of injustice by others, a way for you to not be identified as just a victim. I know there are victims, and I'm not taking anything away with, from that. But you have to find a way to identify that, that you are more than what others have done to you. That you can find an identity in Christ that lets you deal with the harm that was done to you by others. It's not your fault and be at a place of peace and, and emotional and spiritual health. 
Do you want peace? Well, Folly tells us we'll have peace when we get rid of, we get rid of, fill in the blank, right? Get rid of the party in power. See how that works here in this country in a few days, right? If we can just get rid of those liberals, if we can just get rid of those conservatives, if we can get rid of the refugees, the Muslims, the Christians, those other Christians, the Calvinists, the Arminians, whatever we're not, let's get rid of the others. Then we'll have peace. That, you know that's folly, right? As if we know what it takes. Because the first thing we have to do is admit we don't have it together. Wisdom tells us there is peace. First, there's peace with God as we're reconciled to him. That gives us a larger perspective to enter those conversations with others with whom we disagree as peacemakers. How about unity? You want unity? Folly tells us we need to all agree and we need to get rid of all those intolerant people who disagree with us. Thank you for catching that. Okay, it's good. Dawning on the rest of you too. (laughs) Wisdom tells us we're created in the image of God. We can treasure the differences as God's gifts that we might enrich each other. Revelation 21 tells us that the glory and honor of the nations will be brought in to the heavenly city. So I think our ethnic differences will remain and they will be beautiful. I love the analogy Christopher Wright draws in the mission of God. He calls it a salad bowl. It's not a melting pot where where each part loses its flavor and contributes. It is a salad bowl where each, each ingredient keeps its original flavor and yet contributes to the whole. I think that's a, a beautiful way to understand it. We get a little, little small bowl of that here, don't we? It's great. Small salad, Mali salad. You get the idea. For anything we want to pursue in life, both wisdom and folly will offer us a way. It's a choice as old as creation itself, almost as old. It is a choice that Adam and Eve faced, God's wisdom, our own. Why would eating a piece of fruit cause death? God called for trust. Wisdom calls for trust. Jesus calls for your trust today. How do we learn to recognize which voice has our attention? Sometimes it's difficult. It's further complicated by the fact that our hearts are often divided. Sometimes we want the wrong things. So as we saw in verse 10... Wisdom begins not with information, but with an attitude of the heart, the fear of the Lord. Again, not a a fear of harm that drives us away, but a reverence that draws us to him, that recognizes we must give account for our actions. So we must humble ourselves before the Lord. It means you can never forget that you can talk yourself into anything. You can rationalize anything. You can be be deceived by your own heart. We've also seen how wisdom and folly, how different they are once we look beyond the initial message. So you, as you're presented with a choice, you have to ask, does this align more with wisdom or more with folly? You think about what we've seen today. Or verse 12, the outcome of the path of folly reminds us that our choices have consequences. So try to consider the consequences. You can't always see specifics, but perhaps in general. It's good to ask, am I choosing a legitimate goal, but by ungodly means. That is, am I thinking, okay, here's the right choice, but it's, it's the wrong way. By taking this route, I'm going to violate conscience. I'm going to lose integrity. I, it might involve theft or abuse or manipulation, deceit, things like that. Ask yourself, will this choice cost me my integrity? Will it cost me a clear conscience? Will it hinder my walk with Christ? Those are just a few questions you might find helpful to ask yourself. And you may be here asking the question, 
Why listen to wisdom anyway? Who does wisdom think she is? Well, first, don't worry, I'm glad I asked. (laughs) I'll tell you. Because you are created in the image of God, there is a part of you that resonates with this, that knows this is good and right, and it is what will lead to flourishing. Second, there is someone who embodies wisdom more than any other person. I speak, of course, of Jesus. In whom are hidden, as Colossians says, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And he has paid a price for your folly and for mine. And he has risen from the dead, not just for himself, but for anyone who will put their hope in him. He has conquered death. So would you, rather be, would you rather me listen to you than to wisdom? Well, you rise from the dead and maybe I will listen. <laughs> Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. He has conquered death. He says, all authority in, an, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So yes, he has the authority to expect things of you. He has the authority to exercise over your life. He has authority not just over your soul in heaven someday, but now. He, is, he has authority. He is Lord of your bank account. He is Lord of your relationships. He is Lord of your life and its meaning and its purpose. He is Lord of your speech and what you say. He is Lord of your sexual desires and preferences. He is Lord. And if he is in the grave, then you don't need to listen to him then any more than you need to listen to anyone else. But he is alive. And he has the authority, he has the right to expect, to demand, to call. He is worthy of your faith, hope, and love. And you may be here today and think, yeah, I want that. I want that wisdom. I want to know Christ. I want to know what that means. And yet I am not there. Let me just urge you to go to him. Confess your lack of love. Confess your unbelief. He's not looking for something in you that is not there. He will put it there. And the way it will come is you, you spend time reflecting on his compassion and his mercy as displayed in his death because he suffered unimaginably to pay a price for us. So reflect on his love as shown in his death. Reflect on his power as seen in his resurrection. Or he has risen. He has conquered death. He has conquered the unseen powers. And he will return. Put your hope in him. Reflect on his love. Reflect on his power. Reflect on his mercy and grace. And put your hope in him today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the hope we have in Christ. Thank you for wisdom. Thank you for all that you are to us. We desire to glorify you. Enjoy you forever. We look forward to the time when our hearts are not divided. We look forward to the time when indeed the desire and the honor and glory of the nations will be brought to you. You deserve it all. Lord, for those struggling with to give over to you control of certain areas of their lives, I pray that you and your goodness and power and authority and majesty and beauty and worth will just come to them in a, in a glorious and good way. Help us, please, follow day by day to heed the voice of wisdom. Grant us discerning hearts and ears and minds. Help us to desire the right things. May it be so for your sake, your glory. Amen.